Hey, y'all, this is Vicki Connor, co-host of Peak Northwest. And before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that Peak Northwest is a finalist for a Signal Award in the Best Road Trip category. Now it competes for the Gold, Silver, and Bronze Signal Award, as chosen by the Signal Judges panel in each category, and the Signal Listener's Choice, voted on by the online public. And that's where you come in. You can help us get recognized with an award by voting online. Voting is open through 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time, October 5th. You can cast your vote at vote.signalaward.com. Thanks so much for your support, and thank you for listening. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by the Oregonian and Oregon Live dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Vicki Connor. Together, we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, we are back with another episode of My Epic Adventure, where we chat with friends and co-workers about some of their favorite trips. And for this episode, we're headed south, just across the border into California, to check out one of the coolest cave networks in the region. That's right, Vicky. There are a lot of really cool caves in Oregon, but hats off to California for this one. Lava Beds National Monument in Tule Lake is one of the coolest caving spots I've been to out here. And our colleague, uh, the trending and real estate reporter, Janet Eastman, recently took a trip out to Lava Beds and is kind enough to join us today to tell us all about her trip and to talk a little bit more about Lava Beds. So Janet, hey, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. So Janet, kind of set the scene for us. Um, Where exactly are we? And when did you go here? Well, thank you. Um, This was in June, and I joined a meetup group. uh, And I had asked them if we could go to uh, the lava beds just over the Oregon border to California, because I've been wanting to go for like three years. But uh, because of pandemic and smoke and other issues. Nobody could really go. And uh, and my friends were interested. So I got a group of adventurers together. And one guy who was very skilled at it, his name is Dan the Man, put together our group and kind of prepared us and did a carpool and gave us a checklist of everything we had to bring. So I felt really secure about going with this group and going on this adventure I'd long wanted to go to. Dan the Man. <laughs> bringing it together. Well, shout out to Dan, the man. Thanks for, for making that happen. Um, Janet, so for folks who have not been to this area, what what's the environment like? What, what were you driving into when you got there? Of course, it's a volcanic area, 500 million years old or older, and uh, it's gone through lots of different changes. Uh, man-made, like the the lake is gone because they wanted to graze cattle there. Uh, But it was pretty barren, uh, rocky, uh, and really remote. We're talking like, you know, um, scrubland, sagebrush, high desert kind of look? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Janet, what was motivating you to go here? Why, Why these lava beds? a good question. Um, I had been in caves before 
and always thought they were so foreign. It's like uh, snorkeling or I guess going to the moon or, you know, some places, you know, in other countries, but just the experience of just uh, getting to know nature better and knowing that it would be completely unsettling to go uh, underground in unreinforced areas, sometimes shimmying in tubes um, and with hoping your flashlight stays, you know, the batteries stay fresh. And it just was a kind of a safe, but uh, uh, adventure on the border of your comfort zone. And, uh, and I wanted to see it. It's a monument that lots of people go to and love. And I had not been there and I wanted to go. I love that. So kind of giving us a little bit of a glimpse into your trip, but now kind of take us from beginning to end about how this trip went. All right. And I'd like to say that I had the comical adventures, but my friends, uh, Angela and Ron, who had done this before, it was just easy. So Dan, the man prepared us what to bring, uh, long sleeve shirts, uh, you know, rugged pants, uh, boots, because you'd be walking on basalt rock. Um, of course, a bump hat or, um, you know, helmet, uh, headlamp, gloves. Uh, some people brought knee pads, but I didn't. Um, so my friends, Angela and Ron, had all that equipment. Angela goes caving in Bend all the time. Mm-hmm. And Ron had been to a few other ones. Uh, and so we were all prepared and we knew it was going to be all day. Most people stay over, but we were going to carpool for the day and then come back. We were told that we were hoping to get into five different caves and we would start with the one that was walkable. You could walk into it and there was a lot of daylight coming in. And so kind of get everybody acclimated. I, of course, didn't have any equipment, so I cobbled things together and I went to my go bag and got a headlamp to put on and I borrowed a helmet from my friend that didn't really fit my head. <laughs> but everybody else had seriously decked out caving helmets. It was really impressive. So that first cave, Janet, you're walking in, you're getting your first taste of these lava beds. What is it like there? What, what were you feeling? It was wonderful because, again, it's June and it's summer, but it's very cool in the caves. And we had been told that we could see bats. And at the visitor center, which is excellent, they did ask us to make sure we had not been in contact with bats uh, for a long time. Like, I think they said five years. I had read online 18 months. I was pretty assured that I had not uh, encountered a bat during that time because you can give the bats in these caves white nose syndrome. So uh, we we walked in. It felt really comfortable. Uh, it was um, a little trick of the eye because the ground looks wet and slippery, but it's not. That's just the glistening of those rocks. And the basalt is kind of like cauliflower. You know, it's these little mounds. And so people who know how to do it just kind of walk like they're walking on a sidewalk. For me, I was like, again, overthinking it and, uh, you know, walking gingerly. And also I'm six feet tall. So I had to watch for the spikes above me that most people just like (laughs) blew by, you know? Uh, So I was like really on guard, but loved it. It was cool. 
It was uh, adventurous. And of course, we got to learn about the Modoc Wars and how people hid out in these caves for protection. Janet, what did it smell like in the caves? <laughs> You know, I think when people think of it, I've never been caving, so I don't personally know. But I think when people think of caves, it's like kind of damp and musky smelling. Was that your experience? Well, I'm going to back up for a second and say that I always interview PCT hikers, you know, hikers on the Pacific Crest Trail. And I was talking to them once about what they always talk about, which is their odor and uh I said it slightly reminded me of the one time I got to go to the pyramids and you get in there and it's just this must smell that, you know, has been there for a long time. I didn't get that at the caves. There was enough air movement. I never felt like I was uh, in an odor zone at all. I, it, it seemed fine. Even with the trickling of the water, but maybe I have a high threshold for that. So I didn't notice it. Nobody mentioned it. Um, so I, I didn't encounter that. Janet, I wanted to ask you about the feeling of, of walking into the darkness. That's something that I've had an issue with mm -hmm. in caves before of like overcoming that innate fear of like the pitch black darkness. Did you did you have, was that, a, was that a, a difficult thing for you to overcome or, or, or maybe that was easy for you? Well, I had equipment failure in that. Remember that headlamp I put on that I just grabbed from my go bag and I mm -hmm. knew that I put in fresh battery service all set there. And then I put it on the helmet and I just walked in there. And when we got into the dark part, I thought everybody seems to be walking fine. And I feel like I'm walking in the dark. So I made a friend of this one guy who had a big flashlight. And then uh, about 40 minutes in, uh, I realized that my headlight was going up instead of down for me. So once that was fixed, I felt great. <laughs> so that was my error. Um, but by that time, I was a little like paranoid. Like, am I more sensitive to the dark? that I never knew about. And uh, at one point we got to a ladder and the group was, the group leader was saying, okay, we're turn around and you're going to walk down like 22 or 27 steps and then you'll hit the ground suddenly. And I said, it would be helpful to me if I knew exactly how many steps I counted going down. And so again, I was a little in my head rather than just enjoying the space. And I have to tell you, there's people arriving there in flip-flops and shorts and tank tops, and they're having a great, and their kids and grandparents, and they're having a great time. I think I was overprepared. And uh, as a journalist, we're, we say yes to everything, but we also listen to people. So if they're telling us crazy stories or an experience, you remember it. So um, once I got all oriented, uh, the dark was eerie and inviting and exciting, but I didn't feel like I would do an epic fail or disappear or fall into a pit <laughs> or anything like that. Nothing bad was going to happen to me. I just was in the dark, you know? So yes, <laughs> it can be unsettling. Um, mostly what people talk about is shimmying in the tubes is where you don't know you're claustrophobic until You've done that and you're trying to tell your head, 
no, it's okay. You're okay. You're fine. It's just a little bit more and then you'll be able to pop up. But at some point, uh, I hear that the, the person in the front may say, I can't take it anymore. And then everybody has to shimmy back out to let that person out. Um, I didn't have that experience. Everybody just went forward and they were very short, uh, tubes that we went into. This was the 101 version of going to the caves. There are other people who grew up going there and they're blasting through everything and having a lot of fun. This first cave that you went into was the one you could walk through. Yes. And so tell us about the next one that you went into. It got progressively uh, lower, the caves, and uh, you'd like hold on to the side in order to kind of edge yourself around. Um, and uh, you could hear the drip of water. Uh, there was uh, tighter spaces, uh, more uh, true to what these caves are like. And you could see why people would use them to hide in and protect themselves and why they were so um, resourceful uh, to people who were living in that area. Again, it was the second one, and I, I, I was good with that one. So that was fine. Um, I do have to tell you, I, I said I wouldn't go on this one uh, where we had extra time. So Dan the man said, well, we're going to go to a collapsed cave, and we're going to you know, shimmy down into this canyon over these big boulders and then walk into the cave, and there's a tube, and we'll shimmy through that, and we'll pop up a quarter mile up on the hill. And as a journalist, I just said, okay, so it's a collapsed cave. But since then, they've reinforced the cave with like rebar or something, right? He goes, no. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm going to stand here on the edge and watch you guys do it. And they did. And I videotaped everybody climbing and going in there. And uh, my friend Ron uh, was uh, the last person to go in and he might admit he was a little hesitant, but so then he disappeared into the darkness and I was waiting. And all of a sudden, like three minutes later, he comes out and he has his hands up and he goes, I'm the only survivor. And then starts laughing. And we all, I felt kind of like, yeah, I could have done this. But then I see everybody kind of popping up, up the hill and I just walked over there to join them. So, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but there, there was a point when I just thought, you know, I, I don't really feel comfortable doing that, uh, but there was no, no shame or scolding in any of that. And then, like I said, a minute later, I see this whole family in flip-flops going down. And it, so. <laughs> I love it. There's like so many different levels to caving. And I think that's an interesting, interesting thing about it. They're the people who go on like these crazy spelunking tours. Like you said, they're you know, shimming through these little narrow passageways. When you were just talking about it, my heart started to race a little bit, just thinking about getting stuck in one of those things. So n not for me personally. And, but I, I love that there are some people who love to just get down in there um, and do all of that, but then you don't have to, to go that extreme. In a lot of these cave systems, you can, as you mentioned, just go through some of these ones you can walk through, skip out in some areas you don't want to do. It seems like at lava beds, there's so many caves there that it gives you these options to do all these different levels of caving. 
That's true. And again, the visitor center that we really didn't talk about here is excellent because they orient you, they give you maps, they tell you what's open and what's closed. Um, and you can buy a, a bump cat there or whatever it's called, you know, for $11 or something. So you don't even have to bring equipment. Um, and they want you to enjoy it. Uh, they want you to come back. There's picnicking there. Uh, so you can kind of pace yourself. Uh, we went all day and we were told we'd be tired afterwards. I really wasn't tired, but you felt like you'd been on an adventure. So um, it's really at your pace. It's not a group. You could go by yourself. You can go with two people and just pace yourself. Think it's kind of sweet and romantic here, or it's cool where it's it's you know hot outside, and just kind of hang wherever you feel like it. But there's a lot to look at, and if you happen to go with somebody who knows geology and history, it makes it even better. Janet, did you have any favorite places in the caves that really stuck out to you? I thought it was pretty remarkable just feeling that the rock, you know, it just seems like uh, you felt like, I wish I knew all the stories, all the people that had been here and how it survived, uh, how it was evolved. You know, I wanted to go back in time to school and remember uh, more about uh, geology that I had forgotten, but it does stir your interest in learning that. And the visitor center has lots of uh, demonstrations and displays on all that. And they do honor the Native people who were there first. And uh, you can learn a lot there. I just thought uh, it was just a trip to be there. You know, it's it's a drive to get out there. But once you're there, you're in a, a different world. And it's pretty spectacular. That's something I love about caves in particular it's a different kind of awe we can experience that's not like uh, a spatial awe, but like a, an awe from like geological time. Being in a place that's so old where you can see like these rocks that formed over so long or this volcanic, you know, this volcanic flow that happened so long ago and is so well preserved. It's just a different kind of feeling, isn't it? To, to be there um, in something so old and so foreign, as you said. Um, and I wonder if you, you know, did you, can you speak to some more of that kind of feeling you were, you were sort of alluding to that kind of that, that, wow, this place is really different and really interesting. Um, yes. And you also think of all the books you've read about people who've gone in caves and, and things like that. So that flashes through your mind, but mostly it uh, is not your routine day. It's uh, uh, you're on uh, un you know, uneven terrain, you're going into a place you've never been to, you have to watch, if you were like me, you were watching yourself maneuver through things and making sure, you know, I hit my head a couple times uh, because I would forget, uh, but it was cool and the temperature sense and uh, mysterious and uh, a little edgy, a little like, oh my gosh, I guess I could get hurt here, but I feel protected. And uh, I think it just felt like you had gone 
to a place that nobody else had ever been to. It was just unlike anything else um, you do on land or, you know, we all fly and we go places and we've, you know, I've been in the Goodyear blimp and I've been in submarines, but this is nature saying, this is, I've been here and I'll be here. And uh, this is the power that all water and plate tectonics and everything it creates. So yeah, is it makes you really feel puny and powerful at the same time because you're part of it. But I hadn't really thought that through. But now that I think about it, and I would go back. This group that I went with wanted to go on the 2.0 version, and I couldn't go to that. But I'm sure they'll go back again. But it, going with that group was wonderful. So I don't think I'd do it by myself. I'd drive out there and just <laughs> go into a cave by myself and nobody knows whether I came back or not. So that's just me. <laughs> but I travel by myself all the time, but not not there. Yeah. <laughs> so you explored five different caves. How much time do you think you spent exploring all of them? It was all day and spaced out, and we had lunch in between, uh, so it was really well planned. Uh, we never felt hurried. Uh, we spent as much time as we wanted to. You could always opt out, like uh, some people didn't go on the fifth cave uh, or just stayed a little bit. So again, there's no turnstile or you know, no uh, guide telling you we're going to be here for a certain amount. You just... Uh, go with your heart, how you feel, and uh, go in and stay as long as you'd like to and uh, go as deep as you'd like to and uh, then return. But um, I think it was a good five or six hours there. Uh, wow. But it was a full day. And then we stopped off to have dinner, uh, all of us collectively, and we talked about it. And that's when we cooked up that we would go back for another adventure. And so are the different caves, is there any type of connectivity with the caves or is it you explore one as much as you'd like and then fully exit, go to one that's nearby? How does that work? I wish I was an expert on this, but the ones we went to had an ending. And so we went in and out. Uh, there could be ones that are longer. Uh, I guess there are like 20 of them that are available to walk through. And I'm sure... It might be hard at the end of the day for them to check and make sure everybody's out of there at night because yeah. there are places to hide. If you wanted to spend the night in the cave, you could. I, mean, I probably shouldn't say that, but okay. I'm not saying, I'm not saying no. probably probably not a good idea. I don't know. For, for me, that sounds like an, an absolute no. Um, just on you a personal level, you don't want a bat no. sitting on your nose. <laughs> Not really. No. <laughs> I okay. love bats, but that's a little too close. Yeah. Yeah. And you think at night, would there be like really interesting, eerie sounds and echoes and I don't know. Stuff that your mind makes up. Too. Uh -huh. Yes, but the, the locals who go there, they said they would go in the middle of the night because it was dark anyways outside. So being dark inside wasn't an issue. But uh, again, that's when your mind's playing tricks on you rather than the reality of what's in these caves. But, 
<laughs> but there's railings where it needs to be, like on the steps and things. But then I admire that a lot of it is just natural. So, And you have to be uh, able-bodied to do it. And uh, one guy in our group, uh, I don't think he'd mind me saying this, is Dan the man questioned whether he could fit through one of the tubes. And so there's that consideration. So people can drop out for lots of reasons. He did. He went through it and he has broad shoulders and, and made it, but he, he decided he would try it. You've mentioned a lot of precautions to take. Um, you know, you mentioned sort of the, the knee pads, the helmets, the flashlight. Um, and just like you said, it was a great thing to, to note of, um, you know, physical capability for different types of people, obviously. Um, are there any other precautions people need to, to think about before going into these caves? Uh, bringing water and food, uh, of course, for, for yourself. Um, I didn't use the knee pads. Uh, some people wore them. Uh, some people brought extra batteries. Some people were concerned that they would, their headlight battery would go out and they had these big mag lights um, uh, flashlights too. Um, so I think you equip yourself with what reassures you that you'll, you'll be good. Um, but I think you hit all the ones that are recommended, but not necessary. And you could just show up if you're just happen to be in that area, that remote area, and you want to stop, uh, the visitor center can, like I said, get you that helmet and, uh, you, you can really explore it just with that. And this being a national park site, uh, I imagine there are fees you have to pay to get there. Do you happen to know like what 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 kind of fees or permits you might need to to go through this? Well, fortunately, my group they're all people who uh, hike and explore all the time. So each person in all the carpools, we had one of those passes to the national mm -hmm. parks that we use for other occasions. Um, so I don't know what the cost was. It's on the website, which is really good, but here's a good reason to buy that uh, annual pass. And then it encourages you to go to other places too, because we're so fortunate to have so many places uh, here, you know, in the Pacific Northwest that, uh, you know, I can go to Crater Lake uh, 10 times a year and, and learn something to do something different. So it'll pay off and it supports the national parks. Just taking a look at the website here, that is a uh, uh, park entrance is $25 per per vehicle. Um, so that is uh, something to know as you're pulling into the park there. Um, but yeah, those interagency passes, those federal lands passes, great to have if you have them, they cover this and so many other things. So smart to carry those if you have one as well. Janet, you went in June, you said. Are there best times to go, you think, to these caves, best time of the year, or is this more of a year-round activity? I'm not sure I would go in winter. Uh, we did go on a Sunday in June, and it wasn't overcrowded, uh, so that was nice. It was summertime and on the weekend, um, but they... Uh, they get visitors, but it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like 4th of July at Crater Lake where everybody goes. Um, I'm not sure about year round. Again, uh, the, it's your, your comfort and your adventure. And when you happen to be in that area, 
I'd go if I happen to be driving through that area again, anytime. I imagine with like a lot of other cave systems, you know, they're pretty kind of enclosed uh, ecosystems, right? For a large part where, you know, if it's snowing, it's not going to be snowy inside the cave or if it's hot, it's not going to be hot inside the cave. Uh, so it seems like it's like a, as long as you can get access to them, a pretty nice year round thing. Um, once you're in the cave itself, I mean, obviously it's a, it's, you have to worry about smoke, wildfire, closures, mm-hmm. ice, all that kind of stuff like usual. But that's what I love about caves is they're pretty much the same temperature all the time. Um, so it, it seems like a, a really nice place to go in the summertime, but also in the winter, you maybe might have just kind of the same temperature outside as you have inside. And that's, that's kind of great too. And as you know, that's why we store our wine underground because it's consistently 55 degrees, mm. which is the optimal for aging wine. Did you run into any wine in the caves? Anyone <laughs> like left sneak me. in their collection? Left me a bottle. I didn't have a, a corkscrew opener. I didn't have a glass, but uh, I don't know. That just the temperature popped into my mind. Uh, I wasn't drinking wine in the cave, but I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure people have bought picnic baskets and all that other stuff. But. <laughs> Well, Janet, it sounds like you had a great time on this adventure. Do you have any more caving adventures coming up at all? <laughs> well, I'm I'm a hiker, and so I hike all the time. And uh, this was interesting because you're walking underground. I, I will go back. Um, what I love about hikers in general is this meetup group, I first met them. We spent time going up to the top of uh, Green Springs. We wanted to get to this one bluff to see the view. We all hiked up there, sat down and stared at scenic fog for 45 minutes and nobody complained. Nobody said, when is it lifting? Why is it here? Everybody just sat there. And that's what I love about people who who embrace nature is is they're just accepting to whatever happens. So like I joke about my uh, comic uh, pitfalls, but it's just like, that was me in this place. It's been there for eons. And that was my one uh, response to it. But yeah, I'd go back and I would get a helmet that fit my big fat head and uh <laughs> even go even deeper into to more caves because I, I know it's thrilling. It's thrilling to be there. So Amazing. Well, Janet, and if you go back to do more caves, you got to come back and tell us about it. I, I, I love this like caving adventure for you. And I'm really, uh, really excited to hear if you end up doing some more. So please let us know. I will. I will. Thank you so much, you guys, for giving me a chance to reflect on this. So I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, folks, until next time, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel, as well as HereIsOregon.com. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast, as well as our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Also, if you're a fan of the show and you're interested in potentially sponsoring it, you can get in touch with our marketing people at advertise at oregonian.com. 
This episode of the show was produced by me, Vicki Connor, alongside Jamie Hale. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.